Welcome back to the Daniel Muggleton podcast. It's me. I'm Daniel Muggleton. I'm the guy. Look, some would call this week's episode a day late, but uh, it is Easter Monday. It's a public holiday. So I thought I would cash in. As a comedian, it's very rare uh, that we get to experience a public holiday. So I thought, you know what? Fuck you. Long weekend. Long weekend for the mug. Uh, get this out Tuesday morning instead of Monday. Uh, last week's extra episode, extra chat with Dane Simpson was there to tide you over. Uh, had some great feedback on that. Thank you for listening. Uh, one quick one was uh, actually from a French-Canadian listener, Olivier. Uh, bonjour. Uh, he said, love the app, but I had no idea what you meant by the welcome to country. Is it possible to get an example? So I asked Dane, I was like, hey, mate, any chance I could borrow that acknowledgement of country that you wanted to use at the comedy festival and they wouldn't let you? And he said, no worries. So, Olivier, this is what an acknowledgement of country sounds like. We would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land and pay our respects to the elders, past, present and emerging. There you go. Hope it clears that up for any international listeners. Uh, if you've got questions, listen back to the last episode of this podcast with Dane Simpson. Uh, he explains very clearly, uh, even to me, who I thought knew, uh, the difference between uh, the welcome, the acknowledgement, uh, why it's played, and why it's important. So have a, have a crack at that if you haven't listened already. Uh, now, in terms of guests that you guys would like me to get, I've got some suggestions. Uh, thanks for emailing in. Luke Heggie, Sam Campbell, Ruben K. Uh, all people you would like to hear on the podcast. I'll try and hook that up for you. Uh, for the rest of the month of April, I will release two episodes a week. Uh, so the second one will be me talking with someone. Uh, the original on the Monday morning uh, will be me talking to myself as per. Great. Uh, thanks to anyone who's come out to my show at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. Numbers are up. Saturday sold out in advance. Sunday was incredibly close to selling out. Uh, to be honest, I've never felt like I've had more momentum at this festival. People seem to really be enjoying it. Uh, so if you're, if you're in Melbourne or within driving distance of Melbourne, please do come through. I think I have 11 shows to go. It might be 12, but at least 11. Uh, if you want to send anyone along, 9 p.m. every night at the Oxford Scholar, uh, which is on Swanston Street, right in the heart of the Melbourne CBD until April 23rd. Tickets available at Moshtix or at www.danielmuggleton.com.au. Uh, yeah, that's where I'm at. I'm upstairs. Come get it. Come get around this show. Uh, I'm getting excited. You know, it's always as a comedian, very daunting when you like finish a show, when you finish now, where you're happy with that hour. Like this, this last hour I just recorded is the one I toured around more than I ever have before. And, you know, just to kind of start again with nothing, you're like, shit, am I out? Is this everything? Do I have anything left to say? And then, yeah, just watching it take shape over this festival has been very cool. So I appreciate that. Um, a quick one 
Uh, Tom Whitcomb wrote some jokes on this podcast back in the day for geologists. Uh, he opens this week at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. He supports me on tour. He's fantastic. Uh, so if you've caught my show already, go catch him at the same time in a different venue. Tom Whitcomb is the name there. And also uh, another bloke who I find incredibly funny. He wrote the geologist jokes most recently, Rohan Ganju. His show opened tonight. I went and caught that. It was great. I think you'll love it. He is such a great joke writer. And it also involves uh, a little interpretive dance number, which I thought I'd hate, but actually thoroughly enjoyed. So there you go. Um, I think that's it. I think we're ready uh, to dive into this week's ep. This week, I'm talking about five things that have happened in the first two weeks of the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. I'm talking a little bit about the US Masters Golf and how... It's actually an oddly appropriate explanation for why stand-up comedians seem to be so fucking obsessed with the UFC. Hint, hint, it's the money. But to get us there, let's go Verticoli. All right, let's get into a segment called Five Things That Happened, talking the first two weeks of the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. Here are five things that happened to me. Number one, uh, the hotel I'm staying in SMSed me on Easter Sunday uh, to let me know that they wouldn't be servicing the room uh, because they did not want to disturb us uh, celebrating Easter or, or mourning the death of Christ. I'm not sure. Just they use the word... Easter as a, as a particular way to let us know that they wouldn't be working that day. Uh, let's, let's read it out. I'll do, the, I'll do the actual thing. Given tomorrow, Sunday, the 9th of April, is a religious holiday. We have chosen not to disturb you by completing our housekeeping daily services. Therefore, we will only conduct servicing based on requests. Um, I don't know when this started. I think I'm going to say COVID. I'm going to blame COVID for this one that if uh, a business doesn't want to offer a service that they would usually offer, uh, they point to some kind of extenuating circumstance that prevents them from possibly completing the task you'd expect them to complete. So therefore, the hotel's been like, hey, uh, we actually don't want to pay our staff double time and a half. So what we thought we'd do is uh, pretend that everybody here in Australia is uh, supremely religious, uh, supreme and Christian. Not just not just vague religious Christian. Uh, they take Easter Sunday very seriously. Uh, they'll be they'll be praying, and therefore uh, getting them fresh towels uh, would uh, detract from the return of Christ uh, and the ability for humans to now enter the kingdom of heaven. Uh, so very sorry. Um, <laughs> my favorite thing about it is I was also just kind of picturing is like is that why. Jesus hasn't returned since because if he did, uh, that would also, in fact, become a public holiday in Christian countries. And God's like, look, I do want to save him and everything, but double time and a half mm, seems like a bit much, you know, because what you're going to be there like all day, like a 24 hour call, double time and a half, mate, I'm not made of money. You know, these pearly gates didn't pay for themselves. Number two, uh, I played lawn bowls with a South African comedian called Skulk, but so Holtz. But so didn't Hoyt. I don't know how to say his last name. Don't worry, I'm going to chuck his name and his show here at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival in the description. 
uh, I actually went researching, uh, watching videos of him because he's a very successful uh, South African comedian. Uh, and not a single video, even the ones where it's him, did anyone have a crack at saying his last name? Uh, so I dare say I'm not the only one that struggles with 15 letters, mostly consonants, fucking bashed together in a way that only the Afrikaans are capable of. Uh, we played lawn bowls. He's an avid lawn bowler. He was telling me about that. He was like, do you roll? And I was like, well, look, I should be honest. He was like, do you roll? Like, you know, like the South Africans kind of give it a bit. Uh, and I, being an Australian male, being uh, confronted uh, with a sporting thing, said, of course. And he's like, oh, fantastic. Would you like to roll some heads sometime? Uh, I don't know what heads meant. Uh, I assumed it was a very cool South African slang for bowls. Uh, and I was like, yeah, mate, sounds great. And we actually went out. We went to, I think it's the Fitzroy Lawn Bowl Club. Um, it had artificial grass, which he'd never played on before. Uh, and, and we played 16 ends. I learned that ends, are you go one way, that's one end, and then you go the other way, that's the other end. Um, we won't we won't really worry about the score. Uh, some would say it's roughly a bit of a demolition. Um, but I was I was there and I gave it a good crack and he didn't seem to be too disappointed in playing against me uh, because in suggesting the adding, he did make it very clear that he didn't want to give any lessons that day. Uh, so I had to I had to seem like an opponent, uh, not a friend. Um, but yeah, he he towed me up obviously. Uh, but the most embarrassing moment for me was like because it was just we were getting rented bowls and he was upset about the rented bowls. Uh, we we had three that matched and one that didn't. And and he kept referring to the one that didn't as a as a bunny. He's like, yes, we 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 both we both have two we both have a bunny each. That was the bunny. Like he kept referring it referring to it as that. And just like you know, roll some heads. I thought it was some cool South African lawn bowl slang. Uh, so I I was like, ah, so the odd ball, kind of like the mystery ball that they clearly use in professional lawn bowls because. Uh, you know, it's the kind of sport where they could only afford three of the same type of ball and then one mystery ball. It sounds like the kind of thing that, you know, boomers would like to do in their retirement sport. Um, it took me about 45 minutes to maybe an hour into the game to realize that both of our mystery balls just had a picture of a fucking rabbit on them. So <laughs> he was calling them bunnies. I was like, man, this is a pretty fucking sick slang I'm picking up. Uh, but he was literally referring to the picture of a bunny. So there you go. Number three, uh, my show at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival on the weekends coincides uh, with a comedy pub crawl that takes place in the same venue, but in the level below. I'm on the highest level. They're on the middle level. Uh, and so it's always a little bit chaotic. Uh, I, don't know, I don't know if you've seen people three venues deep into a uh, comedy pub crawl on a weekend. They're pretty fucking lit. Uh, and it's, it's a matter of trying to get them where they need to go and keep them the fuck away from my show. Uh, so, uh, on the Thursday night this week, uh, four people who were meant to see me, uh, saw the comedy pub crawl instead came up to the host of the crawl at the end being like, uh, we're actually here for Daniel Muggleton. Do you know where he is? Um, and the thing with the comedy pub crawl is it's an MC. It's a bunch of hammered people wearing wristbands. Uh, and there's also an act and this act, uh, this evening was a good friend of mine, Greek comedian, George Zacharopoulos. Um, the MC would have said her name. Uh, George Zach would have said his name. Uh, she would have said his name. And at no point throughout that were they like, where's this Daniel Muggleton fella that we've come to see? None of them wear tracksuits either, by the way. None of them are red. Um, 
So I was trying to figure out what went through their heads and all I can think of is that maybe uh, they thought this was kind of like a big kind of opening thing for me. <laughs> it's like, look, Daniel, he's a fucking loose unit. You know, he's a lot of fun. He wouldn't just go up and do his hour-long comedy show. What he'd do is he'd create some kind of pub crawl environment, have two opening acts, and then uh, wedge himself into this weird pub attic on, on chairs that haven't been bought since the 80s, just that kind of low ringed chair. But anyway, I just thought it was funny, just the suspension of disbelief necessary to be like, he must be coming on soon. <laughs> this this can't be it. This can't, when they're like, we've got one act and then we'll move on to our next pub. It's like, man, Dan's coming out any minute now. He's going to do it. Uh, but I apologize if that was you. Uh, as I as I said, I emailed. Uh, you guys can come check out the show for free again another night. That's no dramas at all. Number four, number four. While walking through the car, uh, the Carlton Gardens, walking through the Carlton Gardens in Melbourne, uh, I I was walking with my headphones in, and someone was kind of staring at me. Uh, and I don't know if you've ever been a man with a guess who character's face. Uh, and a red tracksuit. People do tend to stare, you know, like people people can look at you a bit because uh, they're confused by what's going on, especially in your more suburban cities like Adelaide or Perth. Uh, this person just seemed to be staring at me a lot. And I, you know, I've got glasses, but like they uh, allow me to see normally, but I still wasn't sure if I knew the person because like the stare kind of took so long and my stare was kind of like back at him and we're both kind of looking at each other while walking slower and slower. And I'm like, oh, this must be a pal. And he kind of looked like a fusion between like three different comedians I knew. So I wasn't willing to make the call which one and yell out a name. So I decided to cross the lawn and kind of walk towards him uh, and took my headphones out. At which point he said, oh, hello. Um, I saw you at Steve Hofstetter's show a couple of years ago. I was just waving. So I really came across a bit keen there bit bit eager uh probably a bit threatening to be honest just kind of charging across the lawn going up to him and i was like oh okay you kind of look like some people i know but i don't think you're any of them and he said yeah that happens to me a lot and then we just walked away uh it was it was real top shelf stuff there for me and finally uh number five uh, a homeless guy ran into me on his bike uh i was leaving my hotel and I walked out the door and like the second I kind of left the door, there was a homeless guy on the footpath, on a bike, kind of right at me. I saw him. I somehow managed to kind of twirl, grab the handlebar, keep holding him steady, get my leg out of the way. And he kept riding. Like no one came off the bike. He didn't really run into me. It was kind of impressive. Uh, and as he was running into me, he said, oh, sorry, mate. And as he, as I was kind of dragging the handlebar around me, I was like, what the fuck? And then as he was riding away, he was like, oh, fuck off, cunt. I said, sorry. And I was like, oh, yeah, man, he did. <laughs> he, he did what he could. He shouldn't have been riding on the footpath. That's illegal. But he did say sorry immediately. But... At, at expressing surprise, perhaps because I swore when I was surprised, maybe if I said what the, what the H is going on, maybe he went with that, uh, he would have seemed less upset. But I said, what the fuck? And he immediately went from apologetic, uh, illegal footpath rider to, 
I wish I fucking smashed your face in, cunt. And I walked the whole rest of the way uh, to my show thinking about who was in the wrong. And I think it was me. I think he apologized. And, you know, I, I took evasive action. Good on me for having some reflexes. And, you know, if, if he's listening, I got to say, probably not. But if he is, sorry, mate, you were right. You were wrong, but you were wrong. You were right about admitting you were wrong. And I should have gotten over it quicker. Uh, my, my, you know, it, it was only a second, but I, I, I should have heard the sorry and understood that nobody wanted uh, what happened to have happened. Sorry, mate. That's five things that's happened for the first two weeks of the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. We got through it quicker uh, because there was some feedback on the last time I did this segment that it should happen faster. And I mean, obviously, in the amount of words used, uh, the speed at which I talk can never go fast. Apparently, that's, that's all I got after that episode with Dane Simpson last week. Everybody just messaging, being like, yeah, you do talk slow, but we don't mind. Thanks. Five things that happened. All right, let's get into some sports real quick. A lot of sport, a deluge of sport. After the drought, there comes the flood. It's exciting. It's fun. Uh, the Masters Golf. I guess I'm a golf guy now. That goddamn Netflix documentary hooked me. Got me in. I mean, don't get me wrong. I didn't watch it. Let's not be ridiculous. It is just blokes practice swinging, hitting once and seeing where the ball lands. Uh, I didn't go that deep, but I did keep a good eye on it. Uh, John Rum winning. Uh, Brooks Koepka and Phil Mickelson tied for second. Or are they tied for third? I never, I never remember how that works. I swear they're tied for second. And then the next one is fourth, which means they have to, I assume, combine and then split the second and third round, uh, second and third place prize money. That's how they figure that one out. Yeah, I fucking nailed that. That's how a leaderboard works. We're there. Um, the storyline coming out of the Masters, obviously, is the LIV Saudi-backed Greg Norman-led golf tour. What a natural alliance. An Australian man nicknamed the Shark uh, being backed by Saudi oil money in a, I'm 99% sure, landlocked country where there would be no sharks outside of an aquarium. Uh, I assume his status as the shark, very similar to the sharks in the aquarium. Uh, a strange foreign creature brought in for the locals to kind of marvel at. Um, the LAV tour, for anyone who hasn't been following golf at all, is basically Saudi money being like, hey, we're going to pay you fucking heaps uh, to defect from the PGA tour and participate on our tour that's kind of been happening quietly for the last few months uh a lot of players jumped across uh a lot of players didn't jump across you know the classic thing they got offered shitloads of money they were told hey you get paid like this guaranteed regardless of whether or not you win uh then there's even more money for winning the tournaments and you have to play three rounds instead of four and the golfers are like wait more money to work less sounds pretty fucking sick uh, and obviously the storyline of the Masters this week was the LV players were allowed to compete, uh, the ones who at least previously won a major in golf. And what would it do? What would it do to the institution of the PGA were an LIV, a live player, to come in and win the tournament? 
And the worst fears were somewhat confirmed because for the entire weekend, I believe, I think since since at least the Friday, maybe it wasn't the first day, uh, but uh, Brooks Kepka, who has defected the LAV, was leading the tournament uh, by a big margin, big margin. They're freaking out. They're being like, will this legitimize the LIV? Uh, will it cause more players to defect? What's it going to do for our status as like, you know, the primary thing for golf? Because really, the LIV hasn't been watched by many people. Like, it hasn't been that successful in taking eyeballs away. It's caused a lot of noise. Some golfers are getting paid. But in terms of actually detracting away from the PGA Tour, that hasn't happened that much in the Western world. Uh, I don't know if it's engaged you know the the eastern the eastern countries like your, your middle eastern countries um in a way that the pj hasn't i don't know but the big storyline was that then on the final day his kind of fallen off roms won and then the narrative of course is the lav doesn't prepare players for the rigors of a major because they only play 3 rounds instead of four if kupka had been playing 3 rounds Oh, sorry, if Kopka had been playing four rounds the whole time, he wouldn't have blown it on the final day and thus surrendered the lead. Um, very, very convenient narrative. <laughs> Incredibly convenient narrative, I would argue, probably come up by somebody who strongly supports the PGA, not the LIV. Um, I just realized in this moment that Greg Norman, obviously one of the great golfers of the 90s, notorious uh, for choking on the final day of tournaments, would have fucking loved the LIV. <laughs> you got to love that when someone creates a new thing in the exact format that would really suit them. You know, like it's like if the NBL reinvented a version of basketball where layups were worth four points or something. Um, <laughs> so that's what they've done that was the narrative obviously a very convenient narrative being like oh that's the reason even though on the fourth day Phil Mickelson also an LAV defector fucking surged up the leaderboard hit his best round in you know a fucking decade or something uh, and you know the exact same preparation. Like, you know, they both have been playing three three rounds over three days instead of four rounds over four days. He just blew it. It's fucking golf. Like, people fuck it on the last day. It's a mental game. It's taxing. It's arduous. It doesn't contribute to some kind of greater narrative about what these players are being prepared for. Uh, the weakness of this alternative tour, uh, it just, he lost on the day happens all the time uh that's it like he hasn't won a major in a while he's been injured he's been recovering from the injury he's playing well this year but he still isn't over the line he pushed it he finished second good stuff all around nothing to do with the liv but it's just it's just that narrative pushing thing in sports that bugs me so much you know it's like they're trying to push their brand so they're going to build this entire fucking thing around a guy losing when it was just the guy losing. Like, it has nothing to do with the fact that he morally was able to look at money given to him by Saudi Arabia and thinking, that's still money. It'll still pay me. I don't want to play as much golf for less money. I will play less golf for more money. That is the decision done. Like, 
money is always going to influence the outcome, whether it's sport or art. Like one thing that personally I find really fucking annoying is the association of UFC with comedy. <laughs> like something that I don't think anybody would have predicted. Like I don't think any comedy fan in the 90s, say, or early 2000s before this connection became clear would have ever looked at the ultimate fighting championship, the way to find the toughest fighters from around the world across a range of disciplines, looked at that and been like, this will be one of the top five interests for every fucking comedian with a podcast around the world. And I'll be honest, I don't think it is organically. I think the reason that they tend to talk about it is not just the nice little lucrative sports bet type partnerships they can have to sponsor their podcast, hello. Um, but the fact that Joe Rogan has, I mean, slowly, I would argue, I mean, to say rightly, seems a bit wrong. It's just happened that way. Joe Rogan has become probably the most visible comedian in the world. Like, I don't think the richest, but he must be very much up there with a $120, sorry, $120 million deal with Spotify for his podcast. It's the most listened to podcast. It's kind of the most visible, the most direct. And he is a UFC commentator. That's it. That's the way that that connection happened. It's not, it's not that all these comedians secretly want to get into fucking fights and they want to do Brazilian jiu-jitsu. No, it's just that he has the most listened to podcast in the world. He is a UFC commentator. He's a comedian. As a comedian, probably the biggest advancement your career can take is guesting on the Joe Rogan experience. Like, I think there's an argument to be made that that's more impactful for the growth of someone's career than a Netflix special. Like, really, one of the great things to get, sorry, one of the great things to come from getting a Netflix special is the ability to then go to the Joe Rogan experience and be like, hey, man, can you have me on so I can promote my Netflix special? Like, that's just how it works at the moment. There was the Tonight Show back in the day with Johnny Carson. You get on the Tonight Show, you get the sign. You've got a career then. You've been on the Tonight Show. You can sell out shows around the country. That was it. That was the direct to fan marketing, the direct to fan exposure of the 70s and 80s. Now it's podcasting. Now it's being a guest on the biggest podcast. You get longer to talk. They've got an avid listenership from around the world slash around the country. And being on there is a way to get people to look at your special, listen to your podcast, come to your live show, whatever you want. That's the way to do it. You've got longer to promote it. You're in. And so until there is a more successful podcast than Joe Rogan, a lot of comedians are going to have to at least have a sporting interest in the Ultimate Fighting Championship. That's why you see UFC fighters going on the Joe Rogan podcast with comedians being funny and then starting careers as comedians like Brendan Schaub. Like, 
I don't think anyone would have looked at him as like a naturally very funny person. He's a personality who's good friends with the most visible comedian in the world, guested on his comedy podcast, and therefore people are finding him funny. He's like, maybe I could do something with being funny. That sounds way better than being punched in the head for a living. So he goes and creates his podcast and becomes a stand-up comedian because really it's shifting tickets. And if you're listening to Rogan, you're buying tickets to the guests you like and you're on. It's just that simple. I think it's going to be really weird. I think we're going to look back in the same way that I certainly look back at some of the acts who were big on The Tonight Show who were like very clean because like to kill on The Tonight Show, you were very clean or you kind of had a broad mass appeal because that's what that show required. And so you look back at those acts in the day who are like massive and you're like, this isn't a particularly interesting act. Like you're just doing kind of vague observational gear, but that's what Carson liked. That's what the Booker of Carson liked. That's what the people who watched Carson liked. So therefore, that's what proliferated that time. Like people weren't working on an excellent hour show, certainly not an excellent hour show that they would then turn over the following year. They were working on the cleanest, tightest five they could do on Carson and then have a fucking career. Like, I know this is probably like a slight stretch, but do come with me. I I think it's like that thing where you walk around the Louvre and there's all this art. Like there's all this just kind of Renaissance art and it's all religious. Like all the things being depicted are religious figures, saints, scenes from the Bible, angels, cherubs, God, like, you know what I mean? Everything has a religious bent. And you're like, oh man, those Renaissance painters must have all been deeply religious or at least deeply fascinated by religion and trying to use their talents in order to engage the public with this artwork of Christianity. You're like, wow, what? I've met artists today. Not particularly religious people. <laughs> Weirdly, UFC fighters, significantly more religious than most painters in 2023. What a strange evolution that painters then were religious, but now tend to not be. So their art can be secular just like they are. And it's like, well, no, I don't think Da Vinci, who was, you know, trying to figure out how to build a fucking flying machine and the dimensions of the human body was, you know, Hey, I fucking love religion though. Like that's like number one, just getting down the church, having a pray, how sick's that? I appreciate the hotel staff not cleaning my room during that time. But art cost money to make. Paints cost money. You needed the canvas. You needed the tools. You needed spaces on which to paint. You needed people who were going to purchase the paintings. And what was the most powerful religious organization well sorry most powerful richest organization in the world at the time that's the catholic church so even if the artists weren't necessarily fucking getting pumped to do yet another depiction of you know gods touching each other by the finger angels on clouds jesus on the cross uh, a bunch of royals 
a bunch of royals. That was like the other one, obviously. The royal family wanted themselves depicted. So you're like, man, I just I wanna I wanna have another crack at this chubby fellow with no chin. That's what I'm looking for. If only he'd hold something original like fucking grapes. You know, I just I like I like the shading of grapes in the circles. It's just the money. It's just the money. So I kind of find it weird because I wonder if, you know, just like the same way that as someone who's like gone around an art gallery and being like, man, there are just way too many paintings about religious figures, way too many paintings of royal people in the same poses over and over again. Like these artists really fucking liked that, huh? Like just applying this incredible technique to this really boring subject matter just over and over and over. And it's like, no, that's what they had to do to make a fucking crust. So I'm kind of interested if Joe Rogan stops being the number one podcast and if I guess podcasting in general stops becoming the main way that people will discover their new favorite comedian if just immediately in like uh, an about turn like the the modern the modern movement is just gonna go into comedy and no one's gonna talk about kicking a cunt ever again like don't get me wrong i'd love i'd love that to happen because as a comedian i follow other comedians on social media and I'm just sick of every fucking UFC fight, meaning that all they talk about for a day is who kicked who in the head. Who's going to kick who in the head? Making predictions on their podcast about, you know, who's winning this, who's losing that. Like, I, I just don't think fighting in a cage for money is an inherently funny thing. I think, I think there's probably other stuff we'd like to talk about, which is pretty obvious, actually, if you go to a comedy show, because <laughs> as soon as you take it off a podcast or take it off, I guess, just social media around the thing, I have seen very few bits, like very few actual bits written and delivered by comedians about the UFC, unless they're in fact ex-UFC fighters, in which case they're just talking about their life. Fair enough. But even those jokes tend to be pretty fucking rubbish. And I say that from the safety of my podcast. Because <laughs> I think if I was on Joe Rogan with a UFC fighter and they were talking about a fight, I would feign an interest much in the same way that a Renaissance artist might feign an interest in having a crack at yet another chapel ceiling. Uh, because I know that if I was like, nah, mate, that sounds fucking rubbish, actually. Can we talk about something else? There's a chance I would be caused physical harm. There you go. We did it. We went, we went from the results of the 2023 Masters Golf Tournament uh, to the reason why comedians bang on for so fucking long about ufc with an analogy to renaissance art not bad dan not bad brother especially for 1am actually cheeky cheeky little extra 
on the on the back of that anti UFC uh, opinion. Um, I'm just wondering, form following function. Uh, everything online now that you consume in terms of stand up comedy is getting shorter and shorter. I think. I think that's pretty clear, right? I started with TikTok. They're like 60 seconds. Then Instagram's like, fuck, we can bring that in. Reels, let's call it that. YouTube shorts are in. Uh, YouTube stays strong with a 60-second limit. Instagram Reels is blown out to 90 seconds. And TikTok's now fucking, I think anything under 10 minutes you can chuck on TikTok. They're like, we didn't give a shit. Our algorithm's winning. And we're not going to tell you how it works because it's created in a Chinese lab. Just kidding. Just kidding. I don't really know the ins and outs. I just know that, Australian government employees might be banned from having TikTok in their office. I was almost, uh, I was almost asked, I was asked, but then uh, eventually cancelled to give a little interview on the ABC about that. And it's hilarious to me uh, the idea that a journalist would look at me with a with you know a, a TikTok following, not a massive TikTok following, but a TikTok following nonetheless, and be like, "You must have fucking hard opinions on this, Dan." Government employees need to be able to access TikTok. I mean. They got flex time, so nobody's timing their shits in the bathroom. They're probably getting through 9 to 17 clips based on the level of fiber in their diet at the time. Do you think this is a bad or good thing? Do you think it's a national security issue? And I'm like, man, I think if it ever comes the day that, uh, you know, China, let's be honest, most likely, voted most likely at the moment for the Russians, it's a bit of a commute. Uh, if China ever decides to invade I don't think government employees using or not using TikTok is really going to affect the outcome of that one champion. Uh, I think it's really if America decides that we're worth saving. And I hope that they do. (laughs) Hope that they do. But no, I just, you know, I love, by the way, that people are getting way more interactive with the podcast. If you have emailed in, I promise I have read it. Uh, I don't always reply, but I do read it and have a look and listen to your suggestions and incorporate them. Um, just as podcast listeners, people who are willing to consume something a bit long form on a regular basis, is this what you want for your comedy? Is this what you want? Because there seems to be two distinct strands going on, uh, with comedy and comedians online. Strand number one, the sketch. You're doing a little sketch. You're shooting it on your phone. Some people try to jazz it up a bit, but I don't really think that's necessary. Quick sketch, catchy title, get you in there, a relatable thing. You tag your mate, be like, fuck, that was us on Saturday. Holy shit. Or the second thing, uh, which is the one that I participate in, uh, filming shows and then releasing, you know, 60 to 90 seconds of a joke from that show. Sometimes a joke, more frequently crowd work. Look, even though I like doing crowd work and I do it, you know, on stage, I do release it. It has meant that a lot of people have discovered my comedy and I'm very grateful for that. Uh, I don't think constantly releasing crowd work is that interesting. Like I think sometimes it's very fun. Uh, but I also think that when you when you try to crunch it down to under 90 seconds, it kind of takes away a bit of the long form, bringing it back together, which is something I really enjoy. Sorry about that. We'll edit out a cough there. Uh, the Melbourne International Comedy Festival doing an hour every day and a bunch of spots around that does make the voice a little bit weaker than usual. But yes, I think I think especially the short form crowd work, it tends to be that the audience member does something weird or says something funny and the comedian basically explains why it's weird or why it's funny and everyone's like, fuck, that's weird, I should tell someone. 
I don't think it's a particularly great example of the comedian themselves being funny, which I think is much easier to convey over like, you know, a three to four minute clip. Um, And I just know, like I know because I see the numbers and I see when I post things, how much social media is being like, hey, 60 seconds, that's where we're at now. Like we don't want anything longer than 60 seconds. So I just wonder, as people who consume comedy, when you're flicking through the reels, when you're flicking through the TikTok, do you want that short clip or do you kind of miss the fact that things are longer and jump across to YouTube and watch things there that aren't quite an hour long special and aren't quite a 60 second clip. Jesus, I'm dying here. Maybe this is why things should be shorter so that comedians get through without coughing. I'll be back. I promise I'm still alive. We'll close this thing out. I'll drink some water. I'll be back. But I just wanted to know. What you guys like, email in dan at danielmuggleton.com.au. Cheers, bye. All right, my voice has managed to hang on just long enough to say thanks for listening to this week's episode of the podcast. If you did enjoy it, uh, jump across to Spotify or Apple or wherever you listen to give it the old five-star rating. Uh, Spotify is still heavily in the lead. Got a few five stars last week from you. I got to come up with a name. Damn it. I need to come up with a name to call yous. I'll figure that out soon. I promise. As always, the podcast improves and it improves because you're listening and telling people and uh, making each episode more downloaded than the last. So I appreciate that. Please do keep it up. Uh, as I said earlier, the guest suggestions are in. I will lock one of them down. Uh, for this Thursday's extra app, uh, it'll come out around 1 p.m. I think Australian time. Uh, well, sorry, I should say I shouldn't say Australian. I mean East Coast Australian time, which let's be honest is fucking Australian time. Who cares what time stuff happens in Adelaide? Uh, but yes, about 1 p.m. in the afternoon, uh, something for the old drive home, afternoon walk with the dog, commute on the train, whatever you goddamn like. Uh, I'll be chatting to one of the comedians you suggested uh, I talk to here at the festival. Otherwise, uh, to take you away from a deeply religious and unclean weekend, you know it is. It's Vertical. It's Vertical.